Hello, this is your host, Paul Harvey from Life, Passion and Business. Now, before I take you to the leadership conversation, I want to talk about a bit of self-leadership. And that is the millionaire experiment that is currently being run by Joanna Hunter. And I'm discovering so much about myself. Do I deserve to have the money that I have? Do you feel you deserve the money that you have? And what am I prepared to say yes to? All fascinating topics of conversation. If you have any interest at all in what it means to deal with your money thinking or your money thoughts, check out the past two podcasts on money and check out the link. Be a link in this one as well so you can find it easily because the opportunity to join that experiment is still on until the end of the month and it will only cost you $25. Anyway, that's enough for me. I will return you to the podcast. My name is Paul Harvey and you are listening to Life, Passion and Business, a podcast born out of my desire to find greater meaning in life at the time when I thought there was none. Since that day, I have spoken to hundreds of people and what I have discovered is that our story is everything because what we do, feel or experience is based on the stories that we tell ourselves. It's time to explore what it means to live a good life. How do we make this experience better? And more importantly, how do we lead the world to a better place? You know, a lot of people, um, they want the they want the result without the work, right? And, and so it gets confusing and, it, and, it, and they want the result without the possibility of failure. Right? You have to realize if you're an entrepreneur, if you're anybody, entrepreneurs is just one example, but if you're anybody that's chasing something great in life, whatever it may be, there's an inherent risk with that. And every day you have to wake up and you have to double down on that bet. And so it takes some risk tolerance and it, and it takes some faith and it takes, um, you know, a lot of things that, that a lot of people, may, it makes them very uncomfortable. Leadership is one of the key qualities that many say is missing in our modern world. It is something that we all need to master on some level for ourselves and for the people around us. My guest on the program today brings a refreshing perspective to the idea of leadership and much of it comes from his early upbringing. David Kitchen, as he describes it, was gifted to be born into a single parent family in Berwick, Pennsylvania. His mum worked three jobs to put food on the table and give them the life he needed. There was a stepfather for a while, but he left when David was 11. And despite all of this, he was surrounded by love and had a wonderful early family life. However, even with a good home life, it was still frustrating. And looking for an outlet for these frustrations, he discovered American football. David was built for it and had a natural ability for the game and did really well. While in high school, offers came in from some of the best universities. And there was every possibility he would get to play professionally. But life takes a turn and due to injury, those offers were withdrawn, which meant he went to a less prestigious institution. Our conversation is an insight into the game, what it's like to play at that level. And as someone from the UK, I have no understanding of American football, so it was a really good, interesting insight for myself. However, the reality in all of this is that he would never play football professionally and on leaving university, he had to find a new career. He went into sales and he did really well, but hated it. He always remembered that love he had for the football field and wanted to get back to it, back into the game, but from the other side. 
The decision was made and he took an internship as a football coach, took the coaching exams and became a university coach. And this is the story of how he brings his passion for playing into teaching others to play. He became one of the youngest university coaches for a time. The key to David's success was his vulnerability and his ability to share his mistakes and show how he moved beyond them. But after 10 years in coaching and the change of circumstance, it was time to move on. Realising his journey in coaching was the blueprint for successful leadership, he started a new business. It was the middle of the pandemic and he had this idea of starting Edge Leadership Academy and thanks to the pandemic and Zoom, that business thrived and has grown year on year ever since. David has successfully brought his skills from the football field into business and leadership. He's a published author, speaker and leadership coach. So let's join the conversation with David Kitchen. So how did it all start for you? Where were you born and um, what's been the journey so far? Yeah, the, the journey has been full of twists and turns, man. I was uh, I was given the best gift that, that anybody can be given. Um, and, and people may argue that, but I was born to a single parent. So I was, I was born to a single mother. Um, very early on, you know, I learned a lot of skills from her. Um, I was born in, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And, and so Northeast uh, region of, of the United States and, you know, saw a lot of things at a young age um, that, that maybe children shouldn't see. You know, my mom was uh, uh, struggling at the time and, and was working two, three jobs to keep the lights on and do the things we needed to do. Um, she ended up getting married to my brother, my biological brother's father. Um, so I never met my biological father, but there was a stepfather in the house. Um, he struggled with addiction and was a, a long haul truck driver. So he was gone for, for long periods of time, would come home upset, you know, whatever semblance of, of balance we had in the household um, with his behaviors. And, and uh, you know, it kind of forced me to, to ultimately be the man of the house at about 11 years old um, when she finally divorced him and, and he left and, you know, but unfortunately he left her penniless um, and he took everything. And so, you know, again, I watched my mom pick herself up by her bootstraps and, and never complain and never make excuses. It was just find a way to get things done. Right. And so um, that's where my journey started, you know, mm. from, from there, I was, I was very fortunate to be surrounded by a loving family. Um, and my mom ultimately got us out of that situation. We moved in with my grandmother and things turned up from there, you know, things got a lot better from there, but that's, that's the origin story. Um, it led to, you know, the opportunity for me to participate in sports and then ultimately get a scholarship to go play football, um, American football at a university, which I, I college wasn't even an option for me if it, if it weren't for athletics. Right. And so um, that's kind of the, the path that I took. And then from there I got into, got into sales. Um, I graduated from college and got into sales, um, hated what I was doing was, was miserable every day of my life, but I was making money. Mm. And um, you know, so I had this internal battle because we grew up without money. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you, you look back and you're like, do I leave this for something that I'm passionate in or, or do I just suck it up? And maybe this is what life is. Right. And I was just like, no, this is this isn't for me. You know, I'm not passionate about this. I don't care. I, I'm going to slow you down a bit and go back a bit because we, we've we've yeah, yeah. some big parts of your life. Quite, quite fascinating. You know, it's like I mean, you obviously had a tough beginning in some respects and you had, had to learn mm -hmm. a lot, as you say. And and like all these things, you know people are the product of their history as much as your your stepfather did did his best with the tools he had and clearly we don't all come with a good toolkit do we you know that's the trouble no no definitely not but you seem to work 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 it through and that, that's down to your mother the credit of your mother isn't it in that respect absolutely yeah my mom um 
you know, she, she taught us to lead with love. Right. And, and oh, I say that, it. yeah, I, I say that because, you know, so the, a story sticks out in my mind. I remember we were, uh, we were just kids, you know, we had our bikes and it was summertime and she asked me and my brother. Um, so my brother would have been like, you know, four at the time I was maybe nine, 10. Um, she asked us to help pack bag lunches, brown bag lunches for the Salvation Army. Um, and for, for the, you know, the families that typically would get help from the school, but since it was summertime, there's no school. And so these kids didn't have lunch. And so she said, you know, we're going to go to the restaurant that she worked at at the time and we're going to pack these lunches. And so we did. And then as we were walking out the door, she said, David, I want you and your brother to ride your bikes and follow the van. And when they get to the Salvation Army, help them unpack, but then make sure you grab two lunches. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, sweet. I get free lunch for riding my bike and following this thing. What I didn't realize was we were those kids. We were the ones that needed help, right? But for my mom, she led with love. And she said, no, we're going to help other people, right? And in turn, we'll ultimately get the help back. And so, um, yeah, that's just one example of, of many. I mean, she she set the she set the the trajectory that I would go on um, and taught me a lot about, you know, you know, just, just grit and then just the ability to just stick with it. Like she never made an excuse. Um, And now, you know, you look at her life today. um, She went back to school for, for nursing at at 40 something years old and and is now running one of the best dementia units in in the entire country. So I should have your mother on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she is an interesting, interesting person with a heck of a story. Oh, sound like well, we might talk about that later. That would be weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Both compare listener numbers. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> she might be more entertaining than me. Well, I've got you here, so we'll stick with you for the time being. <laughs> I, I'm fascinated by American football. I mean, you, you went into. I take it you were good at football. That's why it pulled you into the into get a scholarship with it, did you. Yeah. So. Um... Basically, what I figured out early on was a couple of things. One, I was genetically biased towards American football. I'm a big individual, um, so I'm I'm about five foot ten, five foot eleven. They're not going to push you over, are they? They're not going to push you. No, over, no, I'm not. I'm not going to get bullied. Um, <laughs> and, and so I realized that. And then obviously, with everything going on in the household, I needed an outlet. I needed somewhere where where I could take out some of that aggression and some of the anger that I did have. And so. American football was that place, right? Mm. And and I was very fortunate to be in a environment where the high school that I attended, it was an excellent high school. I mean, it's one of the top in the in the country for football. And so I got to be exposed to this culture of hard work and and if you put it in, you get it out, right? And you I saw people getting these opportunities to go to the NFL, the National Football League, and and go to big time colleges and all these things. And I'm like, oh this could be my vehicle to get out of here. Mm. And then not only that, I was one of very few African-Americans in the community. And so I also realized, oh, if I'm good at football and I'm a good human and I do the right things in the classroom, I can earn the respect of the people in this community. Nice. And I can no longer feel like a minority. Mm, nice. Tell me, I, I mean, I, as a Brit, I live, I'm a Londoner living in Scotland, so I'm a bit weird really, but... Um, American football, it doesn't seem to, it seems to be college thing or professional. There doesn't seem anything in the middle. Is that true? Yeah, there, there's not. Yeah. So, so you, um, football, American football is one of those interesting sports where we talk a lot about it 
And we say the last time you you put your helmet on is probably the last time you'll put your helmet on for the rest of your life, right? So if you think about, you know, um, traditional football or if you think about baseball or basketball, like there's rec leagues, there's, there's yeah. adult leagues, there's all these different leagues that you can play in. Um, when it comes to American football, it's you either make it to the pros or you're done. Why is that? Um, is that because it's such a dangerous sport, or what's that, what's that? I think that's part of it. Yeah, it's there's a huge. I mean, to try and get covered from an insurance company would be a nightmare. You know, if you really think about it, with the with the likelihood of people getting hurt and everything. I mean, the premiums for a college to carry American football as a, as a sport is is probably astronomical. Yes, yes, and I had heard somewhere that there's quite a lot of conversation because the collision that you have starts with the body ends up with a helmet and then it ends up with the brain and so there are there, there are some problems here aren't there in terms of young people kind of going do i really want to suffer this yeah it's it, it's changing the the dynamic so american football used to be kind of a, a religion honestly um and it still is in my town you know where where i'm from there's a sign when you pull into into the town into the the city boundaries and it says god family football Oh, um, right. And it's actually it's it's actually twin so we're a twin city with um, Berwick upon Tweed. Mm. Um, so I'm from Berwick, Pennsylvania. Berwick upon Tweed is our twin city, and so mm. I, we've had the opportunity to visit those. But it actually says on there Berwick, Pennsylvania, paired with Berwick upon Tweed, and then it says God Family Football at the bottom. Nice. And, and so it's it's a big part of um, you know our our fabric of our community. But with all the research fi- coming out, you know it is you're you're finding out very quickly that from the age of probably high school, right? So especially if you're playing in a, in a competitive league in high school, um, essentially what's happening is every every play, every time that you snap the football and you, you go and collide with somebody, it's the equivalent of being in a car accident. Um, and, and so those, they add up over time, you know, they, they add up and those, those collisions, um, you know, they're scary. I mean, I've had concussions. I've, I was in the hospital with a concussion. You know, it's it's not a joke, um, but it's a beautiful game nonetheless. Yes. Well, I guess they say with the same about rugby and those sort of things. They're, they are, you know, they're, rugby is our equivalent of it. Except we'll, right. they were a little bit less padding than you do. Mind you, there's, a a lot less padding. there's an advantage to that because it means they can't hit each other as hard. So there's, there is an advantage right. to less padding because it's going to hurt. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's there's no doubt. There's no <laughs> doubt. It's a, uh, it's, it's a, I call it, a, it it's, it's like, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Controlled chaos. Mm. You know, that's, that's really what it is. It's controlled chaos and it's, it's a, um, it's like how they call boxing the sweet science. I mean, there, there right? are it's, it's mi- urban myths. There are urban myths here where they've had, you know, the scrum in rugby, and they've the scrum is passing. There's been an ear on the floor. You know, I mean, like you right, know, right. You could, yeah, the person those, was so hyped up they didn't notice it got ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, those things happen, man. But it, it is a beautiful thing, and I've I've said before in other interviews, um, you know, it's you're free between those white lines, you know, your, your, your personality can come out, your um, all the things that, that bother you, all the things that hurt you, all the things you're afraid of. It's your, it's your opportunity to face your fear every well, six seconds. It, I guess it's for those type, all the worries of the world are gone at that moment. Aren't they? You are totally focused on this place. And it's, and it's like, and it's like a meditation on some level, but a bit more aggressive than a meditation, but it, it's, it is the same kind of thing. It is a total immersion in something. It is. And it's, it's sobering when you look up at a scoreboard and I felt this even as a coach and it was something that I've chased in my life 
there's this feeling when you look up at a scoreboard and you see all zeros on the time, right? And there's no time left. And you either did it or you didn't. Mm. And it's there for the world to see. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. those in that moment, there's nothing you can do except yeah. look at that scoreboard and be there and feel that. Right. And I think that that is such a valuable thing for people mm. to feel in their life. It doesn't have to be football. It could be anything, any endeavor you want. But um, but I always liked football because of that. I love that moment. I love that that all zeros moment where you look up and either you did it or you didn't, mm. you know, and, and there's nowhere to hide and, and the world is there to see it. Nice. So what was the journey? So you obviously you went out, you left, you left football and did you go to coaching straight away? Did you go out into the world and start selling stuff? No. So I did, I didn't go into coaching straight away. Um, so when I got to college, um, I was to be completely honest, I was a knucklehead. I, I was a nightmare off the field. Um, I did everything wrong. Right. And so my weekend started on Wednesday um, and I would party from, from Wednesday to, to all the way through. Uh, it's got to be done. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, it, it's got to be done. And, <laughs> and what it was, honestly, um, was I had so much responsibility growing up, right, as, as a high schooler and as a child with my brother being the role model, that when I got to college, there was no one there looking over my shoulder. And so all the childish urges and the ego and, and all the other things came flying out. And all those uh, hormones and, raging through you, what else are you going to do? Correct. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and I, I was highly, highly recruited to go to a big university um, out of high school. Yeah. And I ended up getting hurt. And so all those offers went away. And so I ended up at a very small school. And so I felt that I should be the guy. I should be able to walk in here and, you know, this should be nothing because I'm on paper. I'm more talented than, than all these people. And so I came in and, and I just wasn't playing well. I wasn't the same player after I got hurt. I was, I was lost a step. I was not as fast, not as athletic, et cetera. Um, so long story short, I don't play for two years. Um, I'm on the team, but I'm not seeing the field at all. And I can't figure out why. And so, you know, I have a conversation with my coach. We go back and forth. He basically tells me, and I'll never forget this quote, at some point you have to learn to be the guy instead of being that guy. And that hit me hard, you know. And so I started to clean things up, started to get myself together, um, went back for a checkup with my doctor. And they couldn't clear me to play anymore. They said, you know, you've had three surgeries on this knee. Um, if it goes again, we can't fix it. So this was my junior year of college. So I had two years left. And they told me, you're done playing football. So I had two years to figure out who I was without this sport that had been everything to me. Right. And so um, the progression was not right into coaching. The progression was actually into business. And I, I launched myself into, into business. I had the opportunity to come live in the U.K., um, and work for a, a, take an internship with a company out of, out of Prague. Um, and then from there I got into it sales. So I was selling cloud solutions, um, to medium sized businesses. And like I said, I hated it. And, and I remember being, um, at a, a, co- a Christmas party and I'm watching everybody and all of our sales reps are there and I was making great money. And I remember watching them, you know, drinking their scotch and smoking cigars and having a great time. And I just felt like this is not what I want for my future. And I had been coaching high school football just as kind of a, a side thing. Um, and it was that night on my, on my ride home, I was like, that's where I want to be. I, I want to be coaching. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I talked to my family and then I told them I was quitting my job. And I, I wrote a letter to all the major universities on my coast. Um, and I said, I'll come work for you for free if you give me an opportunity. Um, and so, so that's what I did. You know, I got an opportunity to, to go to a school. And so I packed up everything I had. And, and headed out and worked for free, lived in a little one bedroom. It was an old high school 
that they turned into a one bedroom apartment, studio apartments. Um, and so, so I lived in, lived in that and, and um, had to study for the exam to pass to, to be able to be a, a coach at the college level. Um, and ultimately I passed it and, and it led to a 10 year career in, in college coaching. So what does that mean, college coaching? Is this, is this professional level? Is it, what does that mean? I mean, no, so this is university, university, university okay. level. So this is yeah, teaching yeah. people to play football to become professional. Yeah, more or less. We're preparing them for, for the next step and, and hoping. So it's in, in America, it's, it's uh, 7%, 7% of players who play high school level get the opportunity to play at the university level. Of that 7%, 1.2% end up playing professionally. So if you so, get a good player come through your university, does that a good, is that a good gold star for university? Does that, does that up, your, up your game? Uh, not not really because it does but ultimately there's levels to it right so there's division one division two division three division three you very very rarely get a guy that will go professional um if you do then yes it's a big gold star for your university division two it's still not common but it happens from time to time division one is where most of those players if, if you coach at a division one university most of those players come in with the expectation of I'm trying to go to okay. the National Football League. Okay. So, I mean, where was, I mean, you approached this game from the passion of being in the game. And how did you, how did you transition that into coaching? It was learning all the lessons that I learned from being away from the game, right? And from having the game taken away from me. I, I I'd often think, I don't think I would have had the career I had as a coach or been the coach that I was if I didn't lose the game the way I did. If I didn't, if I wasn't forced to grow up and find myself away from the game mm-hmm. to be able to come back with the proper perspective to, <clears throat> to influence young men um, to ultimately enjoy it and love it and cherish it the way I did. Um, I, I don't think any of that would have happened if I didn't, if I wasn't forced to, to be away from it. Were you young enough to be able to influence those young men? Because that's the problem, isn't it? When, when you have a, a, a senior person trying to t- tell young people that think they know it all how to do something, it doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was actually, um, so when I started coaching, I was two years Two years removed from university. All right. So, um, you, so, I, so I was only—I was about two years older than them. And then, actually, when I became the the head strength and conditioning coach, so I, I did all the the training leading up to the games. When I became the head strength and conditioning coach, I was 24, and so I was the youngest in every across all the levels of universities in the entire country. Yeah. Right. So I was. So I was still. I, I was still very close. In fact, I was close enough that one of the players on the team at the university that I was coaching had played with me in high school. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. So, so he was a freshman in high school when I was mm. a senior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the nice thing about that, of course, is you could tell them about, you could tell your story and your story would have relevance for them. Absolutely. And I, and I did. And, I, and again, I think that's something that separated me from, from other people um, is that I was very vulnerable. I've always been very vulnerable with my athletes and with, with my players. Like, this is the truth. This is who I am. Mm. Um, this is what I've been through. These are the mistakes that I've made. And I tell them, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm walking through the same valley that you are. I'm just a couple steps ahead with a flashlight asking you to follow me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good. So uh, I, is this what you're, you, you had to do it for 10 years? Did you move on to something else at that point? I did. When, when the pandemic hit, um, so, so when you get to the higher levels of, of university, when you're in that division one level, so the big schools, um, you are tied to your head coach. So if the head football coach leaves, 
everybody on the staff either gets fired or you can basically beg for your job more or less with the new head coach that comes in. And so our head coach left. I had an opportunity to either go with him or, or stay and, and beg for my job. I had just moved to Georgia. So it's pretty far from where I was from. And so I decided I was going to stay and beg for my job. <laughs> and uh, so I stayed. And, and as that process was going on, I realized I wanted to be in control of my own life. I no longer wanted to be at somebody else's mercy. I never, no longer mm-hmm. wanted to to have, you know, because just statistically I had the best season I had ever had as a coach mm. the year before. And here I was still making for, for, for my job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. And I was like, this this doesn't, doesn't make sense. sense. This, isn't, no. this isn't a good scenario. But I guess the head coach wants his own team, doesn't he? So that, that's the point. Correct. Correct. Yeah. He wants to bring his own people in and build his own culture. And, and yeah. you have to understand that, you know, and, uh, mm. and especially with my position being a strength and conditioning coach, we spend more time with the athletes than anybody else because we're physically preparing them. Yeah. Right. And so, so we're a big part of that culture and that influence. So it's important for them to have the right person in there. It's often mm. the first hire they make. Um, and so, you know, he, he ended up offering me the job and then oh, offering me to, to stay. Um, and when he slid the contract across the table to me, I didn't sign it. You turned it and down. I said, I said, I'm out. Yeah, I said, I'm out. I said, I'm, I'm going to go teach leadership um, to, to people. And and that came from my own experiences. It came from a student athlete of mine telling me how, you know, the struggles that he had had with leadership. And this is someone that I really respected as a leader. Um, and so for him to come to me and say that, I was like, this is this is a problem. Um, and it, And I grew up in a household where you don't complain about problems unless you have a solution. And so the solution was, I'm, I'm going to go teach this stuff. And so I, I started a business in the middle of the pandemic, um, a business that relied on people <laughs> and relied on speaking and being in front of people. Yeah, um, and so um, Zoom was good. <laughs> Zoom, was, Zoom was great. Zoom was great. Um, and from a financial standpoint, it really helped me out because it lowered the overhead, right? There yeah. was no travel involved. Um, so it gave me the runway I needed to be able to start the business. So yeah, that was that was three and a half years ago now. Four years ago. So you teach leadership um, to who? Who who is it that you're you're, you're looking to talk to? Or you talk? Yeah. To so when when we first started, when I first started, uh, it was only athletes, right? So I, I wanted to work with with athletes at universities. I wanted to work with high school athletes, etc. Um, flash forward a little bit, you realize very quickly that some of those places don't have the funding to be able to afford you to do that full time. And so I met up with a friend of mine. Um, he was in the in the corporate world and had built a really successful career. I told him what I was doing, and he said, "Dude, you you would kill it in corporate America. Like you 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 would clean up." And well, I, you would really? because yeah, I can see why you would because you know it's it's a it, the the sport itself is 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 deep in the soul right. of a lot of people. So just walking in and I'm a football player is it, you know I mean, it just opens the door, doesn't it? The parallels. Yes, absolutely. And so he bought into the company. Um, he became my business partner. We launched a corporate division. So now who we work with is athletes, coaches, administrators, the whole athletic world. And then we also work with the corporate world. So we'll come in and we'll work with um, whether they're C-suite, you know, CEOs, CFOs, things like that, or we'll work with senior management um, all the way down to frontline employees. And, and we work on things like leadership development. We work on um, culture all those types of things. And the way that we approach is a little bit different 
um, because I have the 10 years of experience. And then I went back to school and started to work on a PhD in psychology, right. Versus coming from the academic side and then trying to add the experience on top. So I kind of have a, a, I kind of reversed the process a little bit. It works by the sounds of it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's given me a, uh, given me a life. I, I didn't, didn't think was possible for a long time. Hmm. So obviously success that's a, an interesting question because as, a, as an athlete, success is that scoreboard. Correct. And things. So where does that sit in your life now? How do you, how do you live with success? What does it mean to you? Success, the, the definition of success has changed a lot to me over the years. Hmm. Um, like you said, it started with the scoreboard, <clears throat> right? And then from there, I was also always chasing a scoreboard. I was always chasing something that I can measure my success against, whether it was accolades, whether it was um, financial success. You know, I, I tried to find all these metrics. And what I've come to realize throughout my journey is that to me, success is being able to lay down at the end of a day and like the trade that I made. And what I mean by that is every day we trade hours of our life away that we're never going to get back. And every night we have an opportunity to reflect on the trade that we made and decide whether we like it or not. And so to me, it's, it's having it as many nights as possible where I can lay down and I can say to myself, I like what I traded my time for today. I like that definition. That's a nice one. And I've heard them all. I've heard them all. And yeah, I, you know, and, and the point about it is for me, there's no right answer to this. That has to be your answer. It's your answer. It's, it's your answer. There's, there's no doubt. And, and, Again, that answer has changed for me. You know, there there was a point where it was wins and losses, and then it was accolades, and then it, and it, and when it became financial success. But what I realized is all of those things, when I attained them, nothing changed internally. I didn't feel anything, right? And and so I remember winning championships, and I didn't feel anything. All I could think about was the next one. And I remember winning, you know, winning mo- or making money, and and. I was making all this money and all I could think about was the next money. And then I started building businesses and I realized I'm burnt out. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so all these, every time I tried to chase something external as my measure of success, it led to more internal pain and more internal, you know, strife, I guess, and, and conflict. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I need to, I need to, flip this dyke. I need to change the dichotomy here. I need to start looking inside for success and the external stuff will just be an external, an external measurement. Right. Mm. And, and, and so that's where it is now. And I, and I say now, and it's, it's odd because I'm making more financially than I've ever made in my life and I care the least. <laughs> and so it's, it's so interesting. Right. And so when people ask me about the financial piece, I say all the time, the, the bank account is just a scoreboard for the amount of impact that I've had in the world. That's all it is to me at this point. Mm. It mean, it, you know, it's, it's a tool mm. it's, and I put it in its place and I keep it in its place. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think you have to go through that progression of figuring out what, what does success mean to me? And, I think and success, I, I feel it, okay with that. Success for people very much maps the Maslow pyramid. So mm-hmm. when we're early on in our life, we're building that base level of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that success will always be. It's always going to be survival, security, those sort of aspects until we get up to self-actualization and beyond those. So, so it'll always, it will always go up the pyramid. And, you know, Correct. if it all goes to shit tomorrow, 
success will be putting food on the table again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I don't ever want to take for granted no. that I don't have that concern right now. Right. You know what I mean? So I think that that has to be taken into account when I give my definition of success. It's easy, it's easy to say that I do what I want to do with people that I want to do it when I want to do it. But I also don't have to worry about where my next meal is coming from. Hmm. You know, and so I I have the freedom to be able to define success that way. Hmm. Now, I've worked for that freedom. I've built that freedom, but I still have that freedom nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, it, you've built that freedom well because you only started the business in 2020 in a, in, in, a, in a pandemic and it's only 2023. So you've done pretty well for three years. Well done. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, uh, if you would have told me three years ago that this is where we would be, I, I wouldn't have believed it. No, indeed. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's been a great ride and it's, but it's, what it does show for me, what it shows for me is how the world is crying out for leadership. The fact oh, that you're having success. We're in a crisis. We're in a, we're in a crisis of leadership in politics, in business, in all sorts of places. We're in a crisis of leadership. We're in a, we're in a you know, we've got been wars going on and that's lack of leadership. It's all lack Correct. of leadership. Correct. There's, there's no doubt. And there's, and there's a space for it. Mm. Um, that's, that's growing because I think the younger generations are recognizing it. But I also and think so leadership has changed, isn't it? There's a change of leadership, isn't there? Because there's, there's no doubt. Because when I, I my my experience of leadership as a young man was carrot and stick, and a lot of times mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of stick and not a lot of carrot, <laughs> as they say. Right. <laughs> the, the carrot is I don't use the stick. <laughs> right, right, yeah. No, and it, and it used to be, you know, but but again, and I think this is this is kind of a neat conversation to have is the younger generations and and myself included, my generation and, and younger. Um, we're exposed to so much information, right? And we, we're in the information age. We're able to, to, to ask questions. Yeah. And so the idea of you have to listen to me because of the plaque outside my office door or the stripes on my uniform or et cetera, that, that is gone. That is gone because we're taught to question things at a young age and we're able to get the information very quickly, right? And so it has changed. And so I, I think leadership has now become the people business, which, which it should be right. And it's relationship driven and it's value driven. And that's the other thing is because of the economy and the society that we live in now, people aren't tied to jobs. The days of staying in a job for 40 years out of loyalty and being a company man is over. You know, there's, there's remote jobs, there's hybrid jobs. There's all these things. People have freedom to move and leave. And, and the average amount of time being spent in a position is going down. Right. And so, for us as leaders, we now have to give an added incentive for people to stay because people don't leave jobs. They leave managers. They leave leaders, right, ultimately. And, and so it's our responsibility to give people the skills to be able to keep those employees and retain them. And not only that, retain them with a sense of vision and a sense of mission and retain them in a place where they want to be. That's what it is. It's what it is. It's that, it's that being able to communicate the mission and communicate a story Correct. that inspires people to stick with it. Correct. It's it's a vision, it's a mission, and it's a set of values. Mm. And it's understanding in previous times, you may have been able to get away with saying this is what we're about, but then actually being about something different, right? So you may have been able to have this culture that said to the outside world, this is who we are. But once you're in the culture, it's the carrot and the stick, right? Nowadays, 
we have to align those things. People want that alignment. People want you to be who you say you are. And so that's that vision and that mission driven businesses and leadership that's different. And, and that requires leaders to know their personal vision and mission and values. Right. And so people are crying out for authentic leadership. And that's what we're trying to bring to people is, is to start with leading yourself first. Right. And I say all the time, if you want to be a great leader, the first step is to be someone worth following who's going somewhere worth going. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just a person out for a walk. And, and so, you know, that those are the skills that we try and bring to people. Brilliant. We're going to explore more of that in a moment, actually. So let's talk about contribution. Clearly, you're contributing to the world in terms of what you're bringing to the world. What do you else do you What do you see as your contribution? I think I think my contribution is to try and inspire as many people as I possibly can to step into the arena of life, whatever mm. that means for them. You know, I think there's a lot of people in the world who have a little voice in their head that that keeps them up at night or that they hear that they never quite listen to, Mm. you know, that they're capable of more, that they can do more, um, that they can take control of their life. And so if I can inspire as many people as I possibly can to, to do that and to step into that and step into that passion, step into that creativity. um, That's what I'm here to do. I I love see, I genuinely love seeing people win. Mm. Right. And so I think that's my contribution is to help other people win. And I wasn't always that way. But what I realized over time was, you know, it's, it's an old adage, right? It doesn't dim my light at all to light somebody else's. Oh, nice. And, and so that's... Yeah, you've, you know, got that's some, you've got some good quotes, my friend. You've got some good quotes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I try to live by that now. You know, I, I tell people I'll be your number one hype man. The side effect of hanging out with me is that you think you can do anything. That's good. Unless it's jumping off a cliff somewhere, but there you go. <laughs> so... Contribution has two sides. And obviously you're a man who's been involved in sport and bits and pieces, so you know the importance of this. What is your contribution to yourself, which is about self-care really, but how do you look after yourself and contribute to that? That's changed a lot as well. I didn't used to. I really didn't used to. I I used to be um, run down and and ultimately, like I said, it led to panic attacks. It led to a legitimate, you know, anxiety and depression diagnosis. so I had to figure it out. And so my self-care regimen now is a lot more rigid than it used to be. Um, and the, the to go back to the quote piece, one of the quotes that I use about it um, is I need to be selfish in order to be selfless. Um, so I need to take care of myself first, right? So for me, that's things like meditation, finding space for myself, you know, being able to observe my thoughts and appear in the world the way I want to appear in the way that that is you know, tied to me as a human authentically. Hmm. Um, it's, it's, I have what I call a launch sequence, right? So every morning, um, and, and the reason I call it a launch sequence is if you think of anywhere in the world where we send rockets into space, they don't just flip a box and hit the red button, right? They turn all the systems on. And yet in today's world, what do we do? We roll out of bed and we grab our phone and we hit the red button and we're immediately entrenched in everybody else's problems and the world's problems in comparison and all these things. So, for me, I have a launch sequence that I do every morning. So I, I meditate as soon as I get up. Um, I make sure that I hydrate, get some water in me. I like to read. I like to journal. And I like to connect with somebody that I care about, whether it's a quick text message, voice message, whatever. Um, and then from there, I just like to move my body a little bit, um, whether it's a, an exercise, you know, whether it's lifting, running, doing some some stretching, whatever it is. I, I like to do something. Um, and so those are, those are for me, non-negotiables meaning that my team 
um, has access to my calendar, but they know that those things are non-negotiable. They don't get moved ever. Um, there's never a meeting that, that takes over them. The other thing is therapy. I go to therapy weekly um, and I talk it out and, and, and it's been something that has been phenomenal for me. It's, hel it's helped me um, realize that for a long time, the ghosts of my past had one hand on the steering wheel and it was uh, a problem in my life, right? And, and that's where that definition of success piece comes in, right? I was chasing accolades mm. to fill an internal wound. I was trying to fill an internal wound with external rewards and, and that doesn't work, right? So um, yeah, I mean, th those are just some examples of the self-care that I do, but I'm, I'm, mm. I'm very big on that. Like I said, I think you have to be selfish in order to show up selfless. That's a, a fantastic answer. Thanks for that. I, I, I really appreciate those, those sort of answers. Because um, I, I don't think people realize how important this stuff is. They, ne they never realize how important it is. It's, you know, they push, 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 push. And it's just like, no, you can't stop. You know, it's like, you know, like people do back-to-back -back meetings to me. And that's crazy because it's like, it's like you, you wouldn't wash. You, you don't do things. You wash your hands after you've been to the toilet. You do these things and you wash your hands. You really ought to wash your brain after you've been had a conversation with Correct. someone because you're going Correct. from one conversation to the next. It really does have its toll on people. Yeah, um, and you're and you're carrying the energy from from that. And I, I'm not all woo woo, you know. I'm not, no. not going to go all spiritual on you, but you're carrying the energy from that conversation into this next one, right? So if I have a conversation with my business partner, and then I go into a conversation with my grandmother. I shouldn't be carrying the energy of being a CEO of a company into the conversation with my grandmother. Mm. Right? Like you said, I should be able to wash my hands and be able to show up present and mm. in the way that I want to be in that moment for my yeah. family. Right. And I think that's really, really important. And, and yeah, I, I think you have a great point there. Um, and, and I think what people don't realize is when you push, 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 you don't get the results that you think you're getting. You start to confuse busy and productive. And those are two very different things, right? And for a long time, my answer was more, more, more. Now my answer is better, better, better. Nice. Right? How do I show up better? How do I have, how do I execute more clearly? How do I, and, and it's like the old um, Abraham Lincoln quote, right? Like if I had six hours to cut down a tree, I would spend four of them sharpening the ax. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So... Meaning, this is a big one for most people, really. It's like, you know, uh, what's humanity for? It's a, always a good question for me. You know, what are we doing on this planet? But, you know, but for you, what does it mean? What, what gets you out of bed? And, and that can be God, no God. It can be anything in between. But where, where does it sit for you? I, I think it's a responsibility to be the best version of myself. I, I think we're all given this level of potential, right? We're all given certain gifts. Everybody on this planet has gifts and it's our responsibility to maximize them, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that makes me think about that is again, I grew up in early in my life in an environment that if you asked a lot of people about somebody in that environment, they would always say well, he had so much potential or she had so much potential. And I never wanted to be that person. I never wanted somebody to talk about me like that. But I never wanted somebody to say he had so much potential if he just would have. Mm. Right. And so I think we have a responsibility to, to maximize that potential and to further our families. Right. And, and so for me, meaning is, is legacy to me. Meaning is in not legacy from a selfish standpoint, legacy from a standpoint of creating a, a reality where my, 
my future bloodline and my future, you know, children, my children, children, et cetera, don't have to live the life that I lived, right? And don't have to struggle the way I struggled. Um, I'm just a, a really firm believer in leaving the world a better place than when we found it. And I think we all play a role in that, right? And so that's that's meaning to me every day. I, I wake up and I try and chase opportunities to to build the right legacy, um, to leave this world better than, than when I found it. Nice. Gosh, you've practiced these answers. They're lovely. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's because I, I genuinely am at a place now where I live them, right? And so it's, it's, it's something that I often think about. Like I, I've changed the way that I think about things. Um, and I, I wrote an article probably about two years ago when I first really started thinking about legacy, um, about understanding the difference between ego decisions and legacy decisions, mm. right? And, and I think um, for so long of my life, everything was a, was an ego decision. It was, it was how do I feel good about this? It was how do I feel good in the moment? It was emotion driven, et cetera. Um, and, and I think having those those hard conversations with yourself to start asking legacy questions, start to lead the legacy answers and start to lead the legacy decisions. I'm, I wasn't being flippant or rude with that conversation. What, what I mean no, is, no. is that you're really coherent with these answers, which is which is clearly someone that has put a lot of thought into this. It, it, and it, show, it yeah. shows in terms of the quality of answers that you're giving me. So thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Thank you for that. So let's get on to the subject of leadership. So um, we've already touched on this, that leadership has changed significantly over, particularly over my lifetime. And I'm 60 and I, and I, and I, I, I was there during the, uh, the carrot and stick days of, of leadership, um, certainly from, from my early career. So, and I know it changed, it certainly changed, but I haven't been in corporate world for 20 years now. So I don't know what, what, what we're up to nowadays, but from what I can see, there is uh, authenticity is what is so important. We have to be authentic people. Yes. Yeah, ab absolutely. And from a leadership standpoint, again, it goes back to knowing your vision, your mission and your values, mm. right? Because who you are as a person is like your signature. It shows up in everything that you do. Yeah. And so how you lead within a company is a reflection of who you are as a human. And I think the days of having two personalities and having like, I'm this person outside of work, but I'm this person inside of work. Those, those are over, you know, those are over. And I think part of that is social media and other things and access. And, you know, you now have to be more consistent, but one of the things, one of the best things that a mentor ever told me was if you want to be a great leader, you need to understand, you need to think like the camera is always on and the microphone is always hot. Right. And if you do that, then you start to live the principles, right? You act as if. And and so, yeah, I think people are starving for that authenticity. They want to see that. And that's why you see companies like a Bombas, right? Where it's mission driven and they're giving back. Like that's why you see these companies doing so well because people buy into that because it's genuine. It's not just what are we doing? It's why are we doing it? Um, and, and from a leadership standpoint, if you can show up authentically, you're giving people a reason to bet on you. You know, and you're giving people a reason to want to follow you. And um, that goes a long way when you're, when you're asking them to work long hours or you're asking them to, to go into uncharted territory. Um, but it all stems from you knowing who you are from a vision, mission, value standpoint. Because here's the other piece. When things get difficult, everyone's going to look at you and see how you react. They want to know, are you for sale? 
right? Can you be sold by your emotions? Can you be sold by circumstance? Are you going to take the quick fix to make sure that we hit our revenue goal? Like those, those types of things, people more than ever are looking at those now. Um, and it's, it's not just, well, the boss made a tough decision. It's, I don't like his decision, so I'm out, right? Or I don't like her decision, so I'm leaving. Yes, absolutely. It is about values and, and, and value alignment. It, it is. And it's, it's, uh, if you're not able to clearly communicate those values and then put them in action, um, people won't buy into it, right? People are about pattern recognition. Humans, we operate off of pattern recognition. And, and so if I say that one of my values is honesty, but then I'm not honest, every time I interrupt that, that pattern for people, it, it's like trying to put a, a shattered glass back together, right? It's mm. the trust is never going to be there. The trust is never going to be the same. And so one of the challenges that I always lay forward to people that I work with, whether they're C-suite or, or whatever, give me your list of values, your values as a human, and then we'll do it for your company later. Let's do it for you first. What is your value? What habits do you have that represent that value? And then give me examples of specific behaviors that you do that show that value to the people that you work with and the people that you care about. If you can't do that, then those aren't your true values. And so you need to reevaluate because if you're communicating false values to people, that breaks trust extremely quickly. That value work, I've, I've done a lot of value work over the time and, and, and I've done it with people as well. And it's very challenging to try and isolate out because sometimes things are so flipping close. Mm-hmm. It, and also, it is. Not, and, I mean, how many values do you get people to work with normally? I, I work with four to five. I say no more than four to five because no. I think if you go beyond that, they start to contradict. <laughs> and there's times where there's two that are, go, are going to be in conflict. Like, I just think it gets really hard. Um, and so one of the ways that I frame values is if somebody were to come into your life and take everything away from you, right? So if somebody will use me, for example, somebody came into my life and said, you're no longer an author, you're no longer a businessman, you're no longer all these things, whatever. What are the things that I would use to rebuild my life? Like, what are the traits that I would rely on that I know that I can execute on that would rebuild my life, right? So I would start with honesty. And then I would go that I'm caring. I genuinely, I care about people. I'm driven. I'm committed to growth. Those are my four values. If I execute on those four things, they're going to get me back on track and allow me to rebuild my life, right? So that's how I frame values to people. Um, And I also frame it as, I hate when people say, what do you stand for, right? Because I think people that are genuinely value driven are chasing a vision in life. And that's a very active activity, right? Like that, that requires intent. It requires intention. Standing is a very passive thing. So when we say, what do you stand for? I, I just don't like that. I think it, it implies that you can just be right. And you can't, if you're on the right track, you're still going to get run over when the train comes, if you're just standing, right? Mm-hmm. Versus what do you fight for in life? What are the things that are non-negotiable in your life? Those are your values. And if you're really unsure, ask your circle, ask the people around you, you know, and then don't necessarily take it verbatim. You have to take it with a grain of salt, right? But use it as reflection. Use it as a, as a jumping off point to figure out what your values actually are. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that's good. That's, that's, that's nice stuff, that is. Um, yeah, I, I see. I, I have two things about that one. I, the majority of the population don't work with goals. Correct. Most people just turn up to their life and live it. 
And I used to kind of go, oh, that's terrible, that's terrible, that's a wasting opportunity. But then I also look at it that sometimes, for some people, that works really well. Mm-hmm. And so they're not necessarily driven in that journey. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, a, that's an, interesting, it's an interesting point. I, th- I think it's a choice that you have to make. I think when you choose to be goal-driven, when you, when you choose to be different, Right. There's an acknowledgement that comes with that, that you're, you're, you're choosing to now live in the arena, mm. right? But that means that you're leaving the safety of the stands. And in order to do that, you have to have things that protect you, right? And that's where those values come in. Mm. Um, and, and I think that, you know, a lot of people, um, they, want the, they want the result without the work, right? And, and so it gets confusing and, it, and, it, and they want the result without the possibility of failure, right? You have to realize if you're an entrepreneur, if you're any entrepreneurs is just one example, but if you're anybody that's chasing something great in life, whatever it may be, there's an inherent risk with that. And every day you have to wake up and you have to double down on that bet. And so it takes some risk tolerance and it, and it takes some faith and it takes, um, you know, a lot of things that, that a lot of people, may, it makes them very uncomfortable, right? And, and I so love that's the work why I of, talk a lot about. I love the work of Brandy Brown when she talks about you have to be vulnerable. Correct. I have, I have dare, you have to dare to leave, right? You have to dare, mm. you have to live in the arena. Um, and that that is so terrifying for so many people. And, and I respect it. I don't, I, I don't want to shame them, demean them, whatever. That's fine. You know, and, and this is going to sound, it's going to sound harsh. It's going to sound brash but it's not right there's a quote i forget what movie it's from but they say the world needs ditch diggers too right like the world needs all types there's nothing wrong with you with you not wanting to step out of the stands and step into the arena and bet and be vulnerable and do all the things that's required for that that's fine i'm okay with that what i'm not okay with is self-deception don't sit in the stands and say that it's everybody else's fault yes don't complain about the results you didn't get from the work you didn't put in Right. You can't bet if you don't, you can't win if you don't bet. No. So if you're not betting, politely keep your comments to yourself. Gotta be an intuitive. You know, that, yeah, it, it, exactly. And so that's kind of where I, again, I have no problem. I have friends that I love them to death. They're absolutely happy waking up, working their nine to five at a job that they hate and, and, you know, complaining about everything in there and everything else and, and complaining about, you know, that it's the politician's fault, it's this's fault, it's that's fault, but nothing ever changes in their life. And that's fine. That's for them. That's for them. Right? That's okay. The only time I have a problem with it is when you try and reach up and grab my ankle as I'm climbing up the mountain. Then I have a problem. <laughs> then I have an issue. Right? <laughs> Until then, we're fine. You, you can do what you need to do, but I can't stay here with you. I'm going up there. And if you get altitude sickness, that's between you and you. You got to figure it out. Right? So, so that's kind of where I sit on that. So what, you know, we're coming to the end of our time together shortly and, and, we, and we can go, we can go on longer, but I, I, I also pressure your time, right? You know. um, what is it you would, what was it, could you offer our listeners? What do you think is the thing they need to do if they want to bring either more leadership into their life? Obviously contact you is one of them, but as a first step, <laughs> you know, what would, what would they do? Yeah, I, I think the, the first step, it sounds morbid, but, but I hope that everybody can stick with me on this. The first step is I, I want you to sit on the edge of your bed and I want you to genuinely think about your funeral. 
Like genuinely think about that. Picture it and ask yourself, what is the first thing that somebody's going to say about me? Mm. What do you want that first paragraph to be? The eulogy. The eulogy, the eulogy the, right? The eulogy exercise. And then what are, you, what are you doing on a daily mm. basis to make that happen? <clears throat> right? I, because to me, I think that the eulogy should be this. It should be three sentences. It should be your vision, your mission, and then your values, right? So for me, when somebody steps up to that to that microphone, and hopefully it's standing room only, and there's a line around the block, right, waiting to get in. Um, but I hope that that person stands up there and, and they say, Hitch left a legacy for his family to be proud of. You know, he inspired greatness in the people around him. He was honest. He was caring. He was driven. He was committed to growth. If somebody says that about me at my funeral, I know that I lived the life I wanted to live. I became the man I wanted to be. So that's what you can do to start. Start there. Just get that, get crystal clear on that. And then every day, ask yourself, every decision that comes across your desk, does it bring me closer to my vision? Does it reflect my mission? And does it allow me to exercise the values that I believe in? If it's not three yeses, don't do it. It's it, it life becomes simple. It's fascinating that that eulogy exercise, which I cannot remember because I've heard it in several places and I, and and it's quite common now. Um, I'm trying to remember the guy who, who I think it came from, the book it came from. But you know it, what I find fascinating by it, I've taken these people down this road before, and the first stumbling block I have to get over with is they're going to die. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and it's like when we can embrace our death, then we can really live life. Absolutely. When we can Absolutely. recognize that this journey will end. And so we don't now know what? When. Yeah. What am I going to make of it? Mm-hmm. It's it's the biggest delusion <laughs> we live with as a, as a species. Yes. The biggest delusion that we live with is the amount of time that we have on this planet, and, and like we we don't. You have no idea. You have no clue. You know, and apparently so, it's eighty-two thousand hours or something as a number. So a number. It, yeah, it it comes down to um, it, it comes down to that. But to but to me, you know, I again coming from the environment that I came from growing up, my experiences in life, see how quickly it can be taken away from you. Hmm. Um, and so for me, I just don't want to wait for tomorrow when I don't know that that's coming. And in reality, yeah. you know, we, we do live in a world, although we, you and I live in the first world, which is relatively safe. In fact, your country is not as safe as mine, but, you know, but we do live. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we don't know when the end is coming. And, and you know, to, to actually to, to take that as an as a, as a energy to kind of propel us forward sometimes is, is very powerful. It's, it's exciting. It, mm. it allows you to live free. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it allows you to live free because you can show up as yourself every single day. Mm. You know, yeah. you can show up and just do the thing, do the things that, that drive you towards what the person that you want to be. Mm. Right? I'm free on that. I, I can have the conversations I want to have because what, what, what are you really betting? You know, what, what if we really, I mean, as much as we, we talk about, you have to be in it to win it. Right. And you have to do these things. We're also playing a game that we don't know when somebody's going to, the horn's going to stop or the horn's going to sound and it's over. So you don't know, you know, you and then just, we step out of the virtuality machine and pay the, and pay, and pay the, <laughs> <laughs> and pay the operator. That's a bloody good journey. Right. Thanks for that. <laughs> I'll go around again. He says, is there anything you would like to add to this conversation? I think we're done, but because I, I think it's been a it's been a lovely journey between you and I having this conversation. But is there anything you want to add? 
No, this is this has been so fun. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Um it's it's so different from the typical interviews that I do. And so for me, this was this was really a pleasure. It was really something that I enjoyed doing. So so thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. So if anybody would like to follow you, follow you, discover how they can get involved, what's the process? Obviously there's a website involved somewhere and all sorts of other things. Yeah, yeah. So on so on social media, um, I'm at Coach D Kitch. Mm-hmm. Um, Kitch is in kitchen. So mm-hmm. at Coach D Kitch on every social media. I keep it the same. Keep it simple. Um, and then our website is EdgeLeadershipAcademy.com. Um, we also have a podcast called the Built Not Born Podcast. So if anybody wants to follow those things, um, you found value in what we talked about today. We're always looking to add members to the tribe. So and you mentioned you're an author. What book did you write? I am. So I, I wrote two books. I wrote uh, The Pyramid, um, which is a system for developing tomorrow's leaders today. That was for primarily for athletics coaches, but it, it applies just as much in the corporate world. Um, and then I also wrote The Scoreboard, which was actually kind of a, um, a revealing thing for me. I had built an audit system that I use for myself to audit my habits, my goals, my mindset, my relationships, things like that. I do it every quarter and then I do a big one every year. Um, and so people were asking for it. And so I sat down and we never, put it we all never spoke about, we never spoke about that. That's not interesting, <laughs> but I'm going to have to go and have a look at that book. Aren't I now. Well, yeah, David, yeah. <laughs> David Kitchen, those links will be available at the website, lifepassionandbusiness.com. I want to thank you so much for a really lovely conversation. I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, David Kitchen. Now, if you'd like to catch up with David, you can find him on most social media. He's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, and you can find his website, which is edgeleadershipacademy.com. Now, all those links will be available at the website, lifepassionandbusiness.com. As you'll heard at the beginning of the program, I am taking part in Joanna Hunter's experiment this year my million dollar year is it possible to generate one million pounds in one year and of course this is not an easy journey to go down because we all know it's not an easy thing to do and yet what would the outcome be if I made an attempt to do that and already you can hear in my voice that the process I'm talking about is actually taming down my expectation you see that's the point about this stuff when we look at our money thinking what's the difference between a hundred thousand and a million ten times roughly but there's all sorts of thoughts that go on around this and it's about exploring those that thinking about becoming wealthier than you are now and whatever happens on this experiment even if I fail the experiment and from where I'm standing now talking to you now I think I will fail it I don't think I'll achieve a million but I'm only on week one week two actually so maybe my mindset will change and that's what this this journey is about it's $25 check out the links in the show notes well worth the material because just the material alone the book and all the things that go with it make it such an amazing value project so um over to you anyway if you've enjoyed this podcast please share it with a friend because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts as always thank you for your time and attention and i will catch you next time all the best
hopefully you have been following this podcast for a while and have explored the five questions for yourself. But if not, what's stopping you? You know, after hundreds of interviews, I can say with a hand on my heart that having answers to the questions about our passion, a picture of success, an awareness of contribution, thoughts around the one question and a sense of what it all means, that is the path to a good life. Now look, you don't need me to tell you that our world is changing faster than at any other time, certainly any time that I can remember. And we must be sure to know who we are. And what we want out of this journey, because we will not get it unless we choose it. So please give it some thought, because, you know, your future depends on it. And if you'd like some help with that process, do check out the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com, where you will find the five questions, ebook and worksheets. Now, this stuff is packed with exercises to help you on the journey towards self-discovery. And it's at the amazing price of just twelve ninety nine. So do check that out at the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com. Now, finally, has this podcast been useful to you? If so, please consider giving us a five star review on the app of your choosing. And of course, sharing it with a friend, because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts. And that's it for me until Sunday. As always, thank you so much for being here with me on this journey. I so appreciate your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best.